Thank you for joining me here today at Why the Book Wins, where I compare books with their movie adaptations. My name is Laura, and today I am talking about the movie Corner Office, directed by Joachim Beck, released in 2023, and I'm comparing it with the book it is based on, The Room, which is written by Jonas Carlson and released in 2014. And this story follows a man who starts a new job with hopes of success. However, things get off to a bad start when his co-workers are very bothered by this room he finds, and he likes to go in this room and just relax, and it causes a lot of tension within the office. And to get right into the book review, so I really enjoyed this book. It is definitely like uh, like very surreal and weird, but I loved it and I just loved the vibe of it. And our main character, I'm gonna call him Orson in the book. It's a Swedish author, so their names are different than what their names are in the movie, but I'm just gonna use their movie names just to keep it simple and not be using different names. Anyway, the main character is named Orson and he is like very eccentric and it seems like he has either like some sort of personality disorder or some sort of like neurological disorder. And then throughout the course of the story, he also seems to just be losing his grip on reality. And that is like a trope that I find really interesting. And I enjoy characters that are just losing their grip on reality. I just find it really interesting. And they're always like really weird. And it's hard to know what's true and what's not. And yeah, I love books like that. And the vibe of this book. Yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. And it's also a quick read. The audiobook is like four hours or something. So it's not very long at all. And it's also just an interesting look into like the office culture and the corporate rat race, as well as like office politics and social norms and and how people react to someone who is different. And in general, it, it's just like a very peculiar book and very awkward at times too, because our main character is just very socially awkward. And it's also a dark comedy. So I think he did a good job. Carlson did a good job balancing the humor with just like, it's kind of sad at times, like I said, while also just being weird and odd. And so it's a good balance of all of those things. And then as far as the movie goes, I thought this was a really good adaptation. They stay very close to the story in the book. And I really love the performances. We have John Hamm in the lead role as Orison. And it just really captured the atmosphere and the tone of the book. And it is a dark comedy as well. And especially with the ending, like, I thought the ending was really great in both book and movie. And yeah, it just leaves you feeling like I like I didn't know if I wanted to laugh or cry with the way this story ends. Uh, but my one complaint for the movie would be that there is so much voiceover. And I do think it's good that this movie has voiceover. And I think that is like necessary to the story. But I don't think they needed to have it as often as they did. Like it almost felt at times that John Hamm was just like reading the book <laughs> as we watched it played out on screen, you know, because he would be describing something that's happening while we're watching it happen. And so it's just like, why, why are why is there voiceover right now? <laughs> and it's very clear what's going on. We don't need John Hamm telling us and explaining the story to us. So I thought in some ways, it was just overdone. It's helpful at times so we can see what Orson is thinking and see how he is misinterpreting things all the time and just see how his thought process works. But I felt like they could have cut back a bit on that. But aside from that, I really loved this movie. I would definitely recommend it. The early reviewers gave this like really low rating. So don't let those reviews deter you. Like ignore those early critics and definitely go check this one out. I watched it on Amazon. So that is where one of the places it's streaming right now. Which yeah, I don't know if it's because of the early critic reviews. This didn't even get a theater release. So it's just straight to streaming. So yeah, I'm kind of bummed at like how poorly this did when it first came out at like one of the film festivals. But anyway, ignore those critics and go check out this movie for yourself. And now from here on out, I will be getting into the details of the plot, which means there will be spoilers going forward. 
So both book and movie, like I said, begin with Orson starting this new job. However, in the book, we see why he left his old job. This is not in the movie, but in the book, we find out that at his old job, like the way Orson sees it is that like maybe people were intimidated by him because he was just, you know, so good at his job and so smart and he knew how to do things better than everybody else. And so his boss took him aside and is like, hey, like you're amazing and you can't really rise up the ladder here anymore. So why don't you quit and go find a new job where you will just fly even higher and do even better. And they cheers drinking this like non-alcoholic sparkling drink. And Orson is just like, yeah, like he feels good about this, finding a new better job for himself. But that's how Orson sees it. But the reader can clearly see that people just didn't like him around the office. And so the boss, rather than firing him, the boss was kind of snaky and smart and instead buttered him up and flattered him being like, hey, like you're too good for this place. Like, why don't you quit and find somewhere where you can soar even higher? And so that is something that was not in the movie. But yeah, Orson, he thinks he is like the smartest person in the office and he knows how to do things right. And he is very bothered <laughs> by people who do things differently than him. And in the, when he starts his new job, he like will see how people are doing things wrong. But he's like, oh, you need to be careful pointing out how people are wrong, though, because they can be particular. So you have to like take it slow and bit by bit, you know, wait until you start like really bossing them around, essentially. And yeah, he doesn't really... <sighs> catch on to social cues and he is not able to like make small talk and just there's a part where a woman tells him her name and then she's waiting for him to say his name but then we hear Orson's thoughts and he's just like what is she wanting me to say like I have no opinion on her name like that's her name so what like what does she want me to say <laughs> not realizing that the polite thing is to tell them your name in response you know and also in the book he is sexist too and has like some sexist ideas about women but he like he has a hard time talking to women, but he also has a hard time talking to men. So either way, he's just kind of awkward. While also thinking that he is superior and better than everyone else. And he is like so precise and he takes such pride in his precision and he's not lazy. And people who like laugh too much, he doesn't like that because he thinks they're not taking their job seriously enough. And there's a Christmas party and that bothers him because like, again, like people aren't taking their job seriously. And like, we're not here to have a party. Like we're here to work. What are these people doing? And then he also just takes things very personal too. And so as the reader or the viewer, we can see that a person like doesn't mean anything by what they say or do. It's just, you know, take it at face value. But he takes it deeper and thinks that they're like implying something negative towards him. And for example, there's a part where his boss in both book and movie tells him that he needs to put on these disposable like booties, shoe covers to keep the floor clean. And Orson is like very, he feels very on the spot. And he's like, wow, like he just made me feel so stupid even though I'm the smartest one here. And yet he made me feel like I'm dumb when I'm not. And he just feels very upset about this when really like, it's not that big a deal. He's just telling you to put some covers on your shoes. But Orson, he just takes it too personal and lets things get to him in that way. And also there's a part where he's looking for paper, but he's like, oh, but I don't want to show them my weakness and ask someone where the paper is kept. When really, like, you could ask someone where the paper is, like, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But he just is living in a false reality, kind of, right? Which is the case for people with personality disorders sometimes. Not that I'm an expert by any means. I've just watched <laughs> different YouTube videos about personality disorders because I find it interesting. Uh, but yeah, they're like living in a false reality and interpreting things in a totally different way and things that they think inappropriate, like, they're not really that big of a deal. But to them, it is, you know. 
But to talk about the room, so Orson first discovers the room just by accident within a few days of working there. He just happens to come across it. And then before long, though, he ends up like going in there and hanging out and he just loves it and he feels so confident while also like relaxed and just like the way it's decorated and organized and everything is in its exact place, which messiness also really bothers him. And so he loves how organized this room is and it's just so tastefully done and it's just so him. And so he will go in there on his breaks and just like relax and it kind of like rejuvenates himself. And there's a mirror in there and he says how like for the first time he saw himself in that mirror and he's like, wow, like I'm a really attractive man. And then he sees his eyes too and he's like, wow, like these are the eyes of someone with confidence who like gets things done and gets what they want essentially. And so yeah, he just feels like so confident in this room. And so then he gets in the habit of going in this room like every so often, you know, on his breaks, like I said. And then his desk is like side by side next to another guy's desk. And this other guy, Rakesh, his files, his papers keep like moving towards Orson's desk. And so Orson is like very on edge about this being like, man, I need to say something because before long, his papers will like overflow onto my desk and he can't stand the thought of that. So then he takes Rakesh aside and takes him into this room. And in this room, he tells him like, hey, before things get out of hand, I just wanted to let you know your papers are getting in my space. So if you could just keep them on your end, that'd be great. And so then they leave the room and Rakesh is staring back at him, just like looking really confused and he doesn't move his papers either. And so Orson is like, oh, he just needs time and then he'll move his papers. But Rakesh eventually asks him like, uh, like, what are you doing when you just stand in the hallway? And Orson is very confused and he's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean when I stand? Like, where am I standing and when? And Orson explains to him how throughout the day at different points, Orson will stand and like he will face the wall and just stand in the hallway and just be not there. And people can say something to him and he just does not hear them. He's in his own world. And Rakesh is like, yeah, like everybody sees it and it's just really weird and it makes us uncomfortable. And he's like, the other day you brought me over there and then you just stood there and didn't say anything. <laughs> and so when Orson thought he was taking Rakesh into the room to talk to him about his desk, he actually had just been standing in front of a wall, not saying anything while Rakesh awkwardly stood there waiting for him to say something. And so Orson though does not believe him and he keeps bringing more people being like, hey, don't you see this door right here? But everyone is like, there's no door, it's just a wall. And so Orson thinks that everybody is like playing a trick on him and he thinks the room really is there, but they're just like bullying the new guy and picking on him and they're just pretending like this room isn't there. And things eventually go to the boss and the boss decides that he will keep working there because some people wanted him fired. But the boss is like, Orson will stay, but he just needs to promise not to go in the room anymore. And so Orson does promise that. But it is kind of funny because when he is in the room, it looks like he's just standing in front of the wall. And so at one point he's standing in front of the door to the room, like resisting going in. But to an outsider, it looks like he's doing his standing again because that's what it looks like to them when he's in there. So a woman sees him standing in front of the door and she thinks he is quote unquote in the room. So then she goes to the boss and she's like, he's doing it again. He's doing that standing thing. And Orson is like, no, like, I was literally just standing. I didn't go in the room. And so, so that was just kind of uh, a funny scene in book and movie. But eventually the day arrives when Rakesh's papers do spill over onto Orson's desk and Orson is very annoyed. And at first he pushes them away, but eventually he just like takes one of the files off of Rakesh's desk and puts it in his desk. And then later that evening, he goes into the room after hours when no one is there. He goes in the room and he works on this file and then he puts it in the boss's office. And the next day the boss sees it and he's like, wow, like Rakesh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted, like even better. But Rakesh admits like, that wasn't me, I didn't do 
it. And so the boss asks a few of the other employees, but no one claims to have done it. And so the boss is just very confused. And Orson makes this a habit where every night he will take some of Rakesh's files, he goes into the room, works on them, secretly turns them into the boss, and the boss is just confused on who's turning in this amazing work. And it isn't until one day he gets there early in the morning and he drops the file off at the boss's desk and a coworker sees him do this. And so the co coworker tells the boss like, hey, and like Orson is the one filling out those papers. And so the boss goes up to Orson and he's like, wow, like it was you? Like, this is incredible. Like this is our new gold standard and this is amazing and you're doing so fantastic. And why didn't you tell us that you were just so talented? And so the boss and everybody else is suddenly like very impressed with Orson. And even though like people are treating him better and being nicer to him, he still is just kind of awkward and like he he's not nice in return. So they're still like put off by him, but impressed by him at the same time. But eventually Orson is tired of having to wait until after hours to go into the room because he's not telling them he's going into the room to do these papers. But eventually he goes up to the boss and he's like, hey, so I go into that room when I fill out those papers that you love so much. And I want permission to go in there during the daytime because I don't want to wait in the evening anymore. And that's how I get things done. So I want to be allowed in there. And in the book, the boss considers this and it's kind of like a debate within the office because some of them are like, hey, he's putting out better work than anybody else. So maybe we should just <laughs> let him do it. However, whatever his method is, let's just let him do it because obviously it's working. But then there's other people that are like, what? No, like that's so weird. I don't want him doing that even if it does work. And so ultimately it, the boss goes to like the vice president to ask him what the vice president thinks they should do. And I do want to say that in the movie, there's no debating on if they should let him in the room again. And the movie, right off the bat, when he says he wants to use the room again, they're like, wait, what? No, no way, you can't do that. But regardless, in both, Andrew asks the vice president, who we never even see, but Andrew comes back and he's like, the vice president says that room does not exist. So not only can you not use it, but they're also firing him and they want him to leave. And so security shows up to like take him out of the office. But then ultimately Orson ends up running away from the security and he runs into the room and he locks the door. And so he is finally just like feels safe inside the room despite hearing, you know, they're calling his name and knocking on the door. But he's just staying in the room where he's finally relaxed and at peace. And he sits at the desk and finally just feels at peace despite everyone pounding on the door. And so that's how he sees it. But we know that really he's just standing there in front of the wall being very empty while everybody else is like gathered around him trying to like get him out of this trance. And that is how this ends. <laughs> and I did want to uh, backtrack a bit to talk about the receptionist. So in both Orson finds the receptionist very likable and she like smiles at him and seems nice. And in the book, he talks to her at their Christmas party. And in the book, the Christmas party happens very early on. And so he's talking to her and they're like, kind of hitting it off. Like he's kind of awkward, but she's, you know, okay with it to some extent. And so they're talking and eventually he like takes her hand and is like, oh, like, come here. And he takes her to the room and they go in the room and he says that they're in there for like an hour, but how like he's not entirely sure what happened when they were in the room, but he says that they kissed but how kissing her felt like he was kissing himself or something. And at this point in the book, we don't know the room is fake. And so at this point, I kind of thought the room was a real place, that it was just like something was off about it, but I didn't know it was entirely fake. Anyway, so they're in the room. And then when they leave the room, the receptionist just kind of looks at him strangely. And then she turns and leaves and goes home. And then the next morning, Orson shows up early in the lobby and the receptionist is just kind of put off by him being there. And so he can sense that like something's off with her. But basically in this scene, like he goes up to her, but she kind of 
like puts him off. And so then he leaves to go get coffee. And then when he comes back, she asks him if he's on drugs. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, like the way you were last night. And also it's like 1030 right now. Like, why are you here during the workday? You should be up in the office. And he's so confused. He was like, wait a minute, like just a second ago, it was 8am. And now suddenly it's 1030. And so then he goes back up to the office and he assumes because she asked him if he was on drugs, he thinks that she was asking that because she is on drugs. And so he's like, wow, like she really fooled me. Turns out she's a druggie and I didn't even realize. And this happens similar in the movie, although in the movie, the Christmas party happens closer to the end. And so I thought the Christmas party would be like the culmination, the climax of the story, but it didn't quite happen that way. It's prior to the Christmas party, he is talking to the receptionist. And at this point, the Christmas party happens later in the movie. So at this point he is successful and everybody is very impressed with him. And the receptionist is like, wow, like you're doing such great work. Like, What's your secret? And he tells her like, I actually do have a secret. I have a room that I go to. And when I'm in there, like I can do anything. And he's like, yeah, but other people don't really see it. And she's like, oh yeah, like people can be like that sometimes. And so he just feels very seen by her and connected to her. And so then at the Christmas party, she's there and they're talking and she's like, oh, like, where's that room you were telling me about? And so he takes her to the room and they're facing the door. And she's like, I don't see it, but I want to see it. And so he like guides her hand to touch the like the door frame and then he puts her hand on the handle and he tells her her hand is on the handle and for her to open the door and so she does and they go in there and rather than kiss they just talk and she says how you know like you might not be the nicest person but you're honest and you're more honest than anyone else and like you want to succeed but you know money isn't everything and they just and she also sees the the room and she's like wow like it's so you (laughs) and so he just feels very seen again with this woman in this moment and then it cuts to like this surreal kind of dance sequence in the snow which I thought was really beautiful and I loved this part and it reminded me of the dance sequence and I'm thinking of ending things but yeah so this happens they dance and then he shuts the door and they leave the room but then same as in the book she looks at him being very confused like kind of put off and then she runs and goes home and then the next day he's there and again she's like very put off by him and then time flies by and suddenly it's 10 30 and he's like what the heck why is it already 10 30 and then he goes up to the office Oh, and then in the movie, she also asks if he's taking drugs. And again, he interprets this as she is on drugs. And that's why he, he, she is asking him. But this, the receptionist is played by Sarah Gadden. And she was also in Enemy as well as 112263. And it's just kind of funny because she apparently like cannot find just a normal guy to fall in love with. And she keeps ending up with these men who like have something wrong. So it's kind of funny that that's like a reoccurring thing for her characters that she plays. But as far as like him being in the lobby though, I'm kind of confused as to what the point of that part is when like he's getting the coffee and he needs to get money from her and she's acting very weird about him wanting to borrow a quarter and then time flies and he doesn't even realize it and he's like, wait a minute, like how is it 10.30? And then he spills his coffee, but then later he's like confused why his pants are wet. So all of that, I, I don't know if it's just an example of him losing touch with reality and just not, being there. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the meaning of it aside from just showing that he's not mentally there, I guess. Is that the point of it? But share your thoughts down below in the comments, what you think of that means of him like losing track of time in the lobby. But my thoughts on like the overall message and themes of this book, like it seems to be about how like the corporate world will wear you down. And there's a funny scene in the opening of the movie where he walks into the office and in voiceover, he's saying how like, this is a place where I can blossom. But we see the office and it's so like dreary and miserable and it is clearly not a place where anybody can blossom. 
And it also shows how people on a whole are just like against individuality because when Orson does something different that's against the norm, they're all very like bothered by it and offended by it and they turn it into this huge deal. Even though he's not like offending anyone, he's not bothering anyone, he's just standing there in the hallway, which yes is weird, but it's not like it was affecting them per se. Granted, he eventually does start like bringing people in the room with him. And so I get that's when it starts to cross a line when it's like, okay, you're bringing us over here and then you're just standing facing the wall and it's just really weird and uncomfortable. So it makes sense they get upset about it at that point. But but yeah, the book was interesting too because like I said, when he starts doing impressive work, suddenly there's a debate on whether he should just be allowed to do that again because when someone is more successful, then it's like, well, maybe it's okay if they're a weirdo because they're providing something to us, you know, and so it's worth putting up with their weirdness. Whereas, like I said, in the movie, they don't want to put up with it even when he is successful. And ultimately, though, in both, they would rather get rid of him than put up with him going into the room, even though he is doing so much better than the others. And in the end of the movie, uh, as Orson is packing up his things to leave, he is yelling at his coworkers and he says, you know, and he's talking about like the VPs and the CEOs and all these people. And he says, they don't care about you. They don't. You're a number in a column on a spreadsheet. This is a corral and you're all livestock. But instead of slaughtering you, they just show you the efficiency metrics and then, enc and then encourage you to slit your own throat. And you? he says to his boss. If you think that you're going to get the same kind of work that you got out of me, out of these people who can't even see a door right in front of their face, then you've got another thing coming. And so that monologue, which is so well done, it's such a great scene. That monologue definitely shows with the movie how like, you know, when you're just a cog in the machine and, you know, caught up in the rat race and you think what you're doing matters, but how like in the long run, the people in charge of this, they don't see you as a human being. They just see you as a number and they just see you as something to, that is useful to them, but not as like a human being, you know? And that's why everybody wants to like have conformity and just be the same because then when someone like breaks out of that, it makes them uncomfortable and maybe brings attention to the fact that, you know, they're not just robots and drones going about this business, but they're actually people with feelings and emotions. And the book doesn't have this monologue, but I think overall the book still has this message, even if it isn't said in so many words. And yeah, it's interesting because originally with the book, I thought that this was just a story of someone losing his losing their grip on reality, right? Especially at the end where he chooses to stay in his fantasy room rather than stay in the world. But with the movie, I think it really like hit home for me with that monologue scene where, you know, he does because throughout this book, he seems very, he seems to lack self-awareness. But in this end, in both book and movie, maybe he becomes more self-aware and maybe he is more aware than everybody else. And he sees the reality of what's going on and how people care so much about this business when it's like the people running this business do not care about you. And then look at you being so uptight about everything, kind you know? And so maybe because he sees the reality, that is what pushes him to the edge. And he realizes that he can't live that reality anymore. And he can't take it because he sees the truth of it. And so it drives him to the room. Because, you know, like working in these corporate office buildings where you're just a drone and people don't care about you, you know, it's like soul crushing work. And so the only way to survive when you are aware of the reality is for you to seek solace in a fantasy, which is what the room is for him. And also the room, like it reflects who he is, whereas the office, obviously it's, you know, in the movie in particular, it's very bland and boring and everything looks the same and everybody is the same. When in reality, they're not all the same though, right? But the corporate 
the corporate people see you all the same. So that's how they appear, even though they're not the same, they're different. But yeah, so Orson, he like maybe is so suffocated by that world that that's why he creates the room to begin with. And that is why ultimately he turns to the room in the end and locks himself in there because he would rather be in this fantasy room where he can be himself rather than stay in the corporate world where he is just a drone, just a cattle along, just cattle to be slaughtered along with everybody else. Sorry, I feel like that was a bit rambly, but that is my thought on the meaning of this book and movie. And so while, sorry, one more thing. So while I do think it is a story of someone losing grip with reality, losing touch with reality, it's also kind of a story of someone who sees reality for what it is. And because they see the reality, that is what causes them to lose their grip on reality and turn to fantasy. While at the same time, it also is about someone who is just very eccentric and clearly has mental issues too. And so, so that is another interesting aspect to it because even before he found the room, he was just very peculiar and very odd, you know. But some final thoughts on here. So there is a woman in the office who has a drawing done by a child and it really bothers Orison because it's a sunset, but there's land on the bottom and the top of the page and the sun is in the middle. And so he's like, that's completely inaccurate. And he's like, this woman like shouldn't be subjecting everybody to this inaccurate picture. And it's really annoying and it really bothers him. And at the end of the movie, as he's storming out, he tells her like, you know, that's not real or that's not accurate. And then he leaves. And so... In the book, I just thought it was kind of funny how he's so bothered by this children's drawing. And he's thinking how with her, she must be blinded to it because she must have an emotional connection to it, but how like she shouldn't be subjecting everybody to this poorly drawn picture. But after seeing the movie, it almost made me wonder if there's like a deeper meaning to the drawing. Although the drawing, like it isn't accurate and it's more individual, right? It's not full, it's not conforming to the reality of truth. And yet, so Orson wants people to conform to what's right. But then that kind of goes against what I was saying, maybe the message of the story is, which is anti-conformity. So I don't know, I'm kind of contradicting myself here. Let me know your thoughts on this picture. And then also this is kind of a minor thing, but in both his, his boss gifts him some loafers that he can wear in the office, because again, they have to wear those booties on their shoes to protect the floor. And in the book, he notices that a lot of people have shoes that they wear just in the office, and then they have their outdoor shoes. Whereas in the movie, everybody just wears those blue booties. But in the book, his boss gives him some loafers early on when they think he's crazy, and the boss kind of feels sorry for him, so he buys him these shoes. And the co-workers are all upset by this, being like, what? Just because he's crazy, he gets a free pair of shoes? Like, that's not fair. Whereas in the movie, he gets the shoes when he is successful and doing well and you know showing his worth at the company and then also another minor thing in the book he ends up taking down the Christmas decorations from the party which in both book and movie he says how he doesn't like the decorations and he thinks they're poorly done and in the book he even like takes them down and kind of ruins the wall because of the way they were put up he kind of ruins the wall when he does it but let's move on to book versus movie so this is a tough one because I really loved both and they're both like so similar to like, this is such a faithful adaptation, but done like in the right way. And aside from, you know, my complaint with the constant voiceover, I did think it was just a really good movie. And while the book, like it's not perfect, I didn't give it five stars. It still is one that I would highly recommend. I'm so glad I read it. And even though I do like this book so much, ultimately, I think I'm going to say the movie wins because I just love the performances and I love the visuals and it just captured so well. Like I said, like the tone and the vibe and the message of this book is so well done. And the performances are amazing. John Hamm was really good. And I 
also loved the scene when he brings um, Alyssa, the receptionist, when he brings her into the room. I preferred her character and I preferred how that was done in the movie over the book. But yeah, the, the movie is just such a faithful adaptation. It is so close to the book. And yet even so, I think if you like the movie, I do think the book is worth reading because yes, they're very similar, but the book just is really well written and I just really liked it a lot. <laughs> So yeah, they're both worth they're both worth checking out. If you like one, definitely check out the other. And yeah, that wraps it up for Corner Office slash The Room, which funny enough, I've covered Room, which is by uh, Emma Donahue and it's the Brie Larson movie. So now I've covered the book Room as well as The Room. And that happened before because I covered Wonder and then I covered The Wonder. So it's funny when that happens. But anyway, if you want to hear my thoughts on Room, I will link to that in the description. But if you want more John Hamm content, I will link to Confess Fletch, which is another comedy with John Hamm, if you want to watch my review for that one. But yeah, if you have not subscribed to my channel, please subscribe and share your thoughts down in the comments and we can talk about this. And there's a lot of different ways this can be interpreted. I'm certainly not saying that my way is the one interpretation. I think this is a great one to discuss because I think it can mean a lot of different things. So yeah, share your thoughts in the comments. Don't forget to like the video, share the video, and subscribe to my channel. And check out Confess Flesh if you are a fan of John Hamm. And uh, yeah, I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at whythebookwins at gmail.com. You can also message me on Instagram, which is all one word, whythebookwins. Or you can comment on the YouTube video for this episode if you have thoughts about this specific book and movie. And my YouTube name is, you guessed it, Why the Book Wins. <laughs> and I love interacting with my audience and I'm always replying to my comments and my messages and emails and I love hearing from you guys. So it would mean a lot for me to hear the input that you have. I really appreciate it and I appreciate you listening. And once again, I hope you like this episode and join me next week for the latest installment of Why the Book Wins.